0: and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie.
1: Will you pray with me? It feels like there are some things missing from the prophecy given to Jeremiah about your promised day, Holy One. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor, together, a great company, they shall return here. Hmm. There's not a threshold for words typed per minute. You do not ask for anyone's 40-yard dash time. There are no degree requirements or citizenship tests. No one has to show work history. It's like you're not even worried about keeping a particular pace, much less getting ahead, holy one. Quite the opposite. In fact, it sounds like no one arrives until everyone arrives. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Holy One. Help us to make it on earth as it is in heaven. With resolve in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16. Verses 9 through 15 and verse 40. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us, she was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. Then she and her household were baptized, and she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Skip, 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 skip. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. As I mentioned earlier, this is our final Sunday of this round of untold and overlooked stories of the Bible. We'll be doing a few more rounds of this next year. And while I have a list of stories in mind, please don't hesitate to email me suggestions. As we talked about last week, not every story in the Bible makes the cut in the lectionary or isn't included because something else needed to be preached or maybe you haven't heard it because you just weren't here on that Sunday. This story is one of those that appears only once in the lectionary. And verse 40 is never, ever read. So if you've never heard of Lydia, you're not alone. But of course, the story doesn't start with Lydia, it starts with Paul. Wah, wah. While traveling, Paul has a night vision of a man from Macedonia pleading with him to come and help. So Paul sets sail, ready to share the good news with a man in Macedonia. Instead, he winds up at a prayer meeting run by a bunch of women. Surprise! Well, it's not actually too surprising. This is the book of Acts, after all, credited to the gospel writer Luke, who includes and highlights many women in his telling of the good news. Thirteen women appear in the gospel of Luke who do not appear in the other gospels. Luke bookends his gospel with women. Elizabeth and Mary anchor the story of Jesus' birth. And Luke credits Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the other women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. The book of Acts features Sapphira, Tabitha, Rhoda, Priscilla, and scattered references to other women like the Ethiopian queen Candace. I mean, Luke definitely has some feminist street cred. But it's also complicated. One of the reasons the story of Lydia, and really all of the other women I just named, often go untold and overlooked, is because Luke frames the book of Acts around the ministries of Peter and Paul. As theologian Gail O'Day notes, Luke structures the story of Acts to show the successful witness of Christianity in the Roman world, which means that the the most detailed images of women are given only when Luke needs women's work and ministry to contribute to the flourishing of male evangelists. The most positive portraits of women in Acts are of wealthy women and women who learn from the apostles and the disciples. Wealthy women who function as patrons of developing Christian communities were obviously of critical importance to the early success of the faith. And with the exception of Rhoda, a wealthy woman's maid, and Mary, Jesus' mother, all of the women named in Acts are wealthy the anonymous women in Acts are without economic means. This is why an, un- an unusual number of details are included about Lydia. Lydia is a businesswoman who sells purple cloth, which was a luxury item for the wealthy. Her business, therefore, put her in contact with the elite of Philippi. Her offer of her home as a missionary center and the information that she was the head of her household suggests that Lydia was wealthy herself. In noting these details, Luke draws attention to a wealthy woman who acts as a benefactor to the growing community of the way. So Lydia embodies Luke's ideal of women's contributions to the church to provide housing and economic resources. And everything we are told about Lydia seems to fulfill those functions. Once we learn that Lydia has offered room and board to everyone's favorite apostle, Luke drops Lydia like a hot potato. He continues with the adventures of Paul and Silas, which take up verses 16 through 39 in the rest of that chapter. Obviously, I find this irritating. Why can't Luke do a better job of acknowledging women's leadership in the early church? I mean, after all, who do you think ran things when Paul left town? Actually, Paul needed Lydia before he made it out of town. The apostle had gotten himself into a bit of trouble. I'm not going to retell that part because, well, Paul is not the point. The yeah whoever was clapping, yes. (laughs) The church has indeed struggled with this truth over the years. Paul isn't the point. Sometimes it seems like preachers quote Paul more than they quote Jesus. But as my colleague Reverend Sheridan Eyrich says, it might be better to think of Paul as fan fiction. So, It's obviously irritating that Luke handles it this way, but it is more than irritating. It is a little bit problematic. Ministry is often equated to those individuals and things that are visible. And Luke's style of storytelling and the focus on Paul makes it seem as if the spread of the gospel depended solely on Paul, as if Paul were Batman, or some other superhero who can only fulfill that function. Perhaps this is why churches have a tendency to turn into cults of personality. Attendance and enthusiasm is centered on the charismatic preacher. The church has, for so long, told the stories of only a a handful of biblical characters deemed rock stars, that congregations don't even realize that they've reduced the definition of church to the person who is standing behind the pulpit. And all too often, clergy do nothing to convince their congregation otherwise, despite our instructions to follow the humble way of Jesus, who, as the text says, emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. At best... At best, when a pastor fails to remind the congregation that the church is the people, it's the pastor being like most everyone else, in need of approval and affirmation, their self-esteem buoyed by the positive opinion of others. But at worst, writes Professor Chuck DeGroat, it can be a sign of narcissism. A pastor who may be talented, charming, even inspiring, but they lack the capacity for self-awareness and self-evaluation, shunning humility for defensive self-protection. Psychologist Diane Landberg says of the narcissist pastor, he has many gifts, but the gift of humility. Sometimes the church itself can become convinced it is the chosen one. Professor Grote continues, Believing it is favored by God because of the compelling personality of its leader, the strategic nature of its location or mission, the orthodoxy of its doctrine, the authenticity of its worship, the beauty of its liturgy, the integrity of its activism, all of that leads the people to believe that the church down the block just isn't as special, and so refuses to engage in mutual ministry because, well, Those churches just aren't as special. Dear reader, special is not a word in the gospel. Faithful is the adjective we're striving for. Well, isn't this just a delightful sermon? (laughs) For the love of everything holy, let's get back to Lydia. Lydia. And I would do that, except that just like it's not about Paul, it's also not about Lydia. Despite our tendency to want to identify a hero or a personality or even the bestest church, this text reminds us that ministry is a team effort. It takes a team. All of us are co-laborers. You heard the story. Paul was not alone. He was with Silas. And they were not alone. They were with Lydia. And that woman brought along her entire household, so they definitely weren't alone. And this is true even of Jesus, whose first act is to recruit teammates. He, even Jesus, was not a lone ranger. And it's a good thing Paul and Silas had found more teammates in Lydia and in her household because they needed teammates. Paul and Silas were flogged and thrown into prison after performing an exorcism. That's the story in verses 16 through 39. We are told that Paul and Silas were eventually freed because the magistrates were afraid they would get in trouble for treating a Roman citizen so poorly. But it seems to me that there may have been more to it than that. In verse 40, we are told that after leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. And that detail is enough to wonder if Lydia and her family had something to do with their rescue, something that was happening after Paul and Silas had been arrested did they start making phone calls, hold press conferences, email the authorities, hold vigil, raise money for bail? They definitely were waiting curbside by the jail to pick them up and take them home. And it seems to me that that's, this had something to do with ha- what happened earlier down by the riverside. At the prayer meeting, we learned that the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly. And it is after that, that we start seeing behavior we don't expect from someone with relatively high social and economic status, like Lydia. She invites Paul and Silas to stay at her home, and quite frankly, this was not in Lydia's best interest. Paul and Silas could be described as being between jobs. They were unhoused. They didn't really know where they were headed next. They had already been run out of town on multiple occasions by angry mobs. But Lydia, Lydia was doing fine. She had money and contacts, a household. Lydia was probably asked to more fundraisers at the country club than she could attend. She really did not Need the drama of these two traveling preachers. And in addition to all of that, we are told that Lydia was already a worshiper of God. So this gal was spiritual, but she was also religious, meaning she appreciated organized spirituality, for the text tells us that she had gathered for prayer with others. But this other thing happened the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly. Isn't that a preacher's dream? The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly. And that's what happened. And immediately, Lydia's faith became operative. Her first act of discipleship is hospitality. And then, apparently criminal justice reform how many people invite those who have been recently released from prison into their homes not us no ma'am and maybe that's maybe that's why this story is untold and overlooked if lydia was inspired to welcome strangers into her home and then later show up at the jail what will happen if the lord opens our hearts Around here, we say that head and heart are equal partners in faith. But we do prefer our book studies. But what if, what if we are called to get complicated, to get messy, to be stretched outside of our comfort zone, Our story reminds us that faith is not solely a cerebral activity. Spirituality is not an exclusively private practice. Organized religion is not an invitation-only social club. What is faithfulness calling us to do? What is faithfulness calling us to listen for? What is faithfulness calling us? us to open our hearts towards like Lydia it might be something that takes us outside of our lane so because there's no reason to reinvent the wheel here let's just try it like it happens in the text sit up straight put both feet on the floor Big inhale in and we will start with this prayer for the Lord to open our hearts to listen eagerly to the following laundry list of ministry opportunities to which we are very likely being called next Sunday our sanctuary meeting after the 11 o'clock service to find out about efforts to resettle thousands of refugees. Or the meeting about voice to get information on our interfaith work for economic education and criminal justice. Or, and hear me out, volunteering to serve on a governing board so that you might be part of guiding this congregation into whatever's next. At the annual meeting, we'll hear from a group of folks who have been strategizing about accessibility and mental health support, and we need people to help us do better. 363 is gearing up again to provide meals every other weekend at the Homeless Alliance and we need people to bake casseroles and make green beans and pay for fried chicken. And maybe it hasn't worked out for you to serve on Saturday mornings at 363, so we're about to start sign ups to volunteer at Joe's Addiction, the community we learned about this summer. Our neighbors at Joe's Addiction need us to help with a variety of things, including trash pickup, meal prep, serving meals, clothes and toiletries donations, Christmas store donations, and wrapping presents. And if we want to circle around to criminal justice reform, the state of Oklahoma plans on executing seven people over the next six months. And so, if you are uncomfortable with state sponsored killing in our name, there is work to be done. I know it has been a long pandemic season, one we're not completely out of, but maybe, just maybe, that makes it the right time for us to begin to step into the priorities that we were able to reset while we were in isolation. We know more now about our interconnectedness than ever. So indeed, Holy One, may our hearts be open to listen eagerly. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.